Katie Stewart, founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Ridd, the founder of Smitten Films, a company that turns everyday moments into memories that will last forever through custom family films. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. So your company does something really interesting and specific. You take footage and images that people have on their phones and you turn it into a custom finished video that they can watch and cherish. Kind of like when we were young and our parents had camcorders and we we used to watch those videos. So could you tell me in your own words how the process works for you and how the the business operates? Yeah. So the process is, I mean, people come to us with all sorts of different challenges. I mean, I originally started it to solve my own problem, which was I have a, you know, 12 month old baby and I have an iPhone four, whatever it was at the time in 2009. Um, and it's, filled with pictures and videos and I have no way to watch it all together in one place. It's like a super edited, tight, engaging version of all this footage. Uh, I have no way of watching it all together in one place. I have no way of like sharing with friends and family around the world because I was living in London at the time, you know, be like, Hey, this is what's been going on this past year. I made this person and I grew him from like, you know, a crying, sleeping blob to <laughs> something that's walking and talking and interacting with the world. So that was like my original intent, but it has really grown into meeting other needs than just that. That's still the core of what we do. Um, and I think that's what we re- like really, really, really shine in. Um, it's probably 90% of what we do, but we do have people who come to us and they're like, I have footage from, you know, an 80 year old might come to us and say, I have footage from the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And can you edit all of my family history? And can you also edit our stuff going forward? So the process can really vary, but for most people, it's really straightforward. So say you have a six-month-old baby and you want to make a a first-year film with us. We would set you up on a shared album. We would call it Katie's you know, first year of motherhood, whatever. And you would just put your pictures and videos from the past six months into there. And then for the next six months as well, until your baby turns one. And then we take all that footage and we analyze and we import it. We tell you, okay, based on this amount of footage, this would be the cost of making your film. And then we make your film. So we, we, you know, say you have, I mean, people give us a lot of footage. So for example, 3,000 pictures and three hours of video from that first year. Our goal is to get that down to about 500 of the best pictures and probably 25 to 30 minutes of the best moments of video and weave it all together with music and titles and effects and make it super, super, super engaging. So you can really go back and watch your baby's first year you know, honestly, the goal is for you to be watching it in 20, 50 years as well and and really transport yourself and your kid back to that point in time and your partner and your extended family. But beyond that, no one else is going to want to watch it. Um, <laughs> and that's 
that's the goal. And that's the, I mean, the process is, is very straightforward. If you're coming to us as like a first time parent or a parent of, let's say, you know, a couple of kids, when people come to us with footage, you know, 80 years back, that gets a little bit more complicated and we convert things for people and, uh, it gets a little trickier, but we love working on those too. I mean, our goal is to, to tell people stories and to help them enjoy their memories. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point I have enough photos and videos of my cats where I could probably make an entire film <laughs> of just my two cats because that would be our first uh, <laughs> <laughs> like our first children but I look through <laughs> I look through my phone and I'm like I don't take pictures of anything else anymore this is yeah. I think that's how you know we probably should have a kid pretty soon because it's getting to be a problem <laughs> you take pictures of what you love and it's really interesting like people always ask us, but how do you know, like what's important to us or who's who? And it's like, it's really obvious. Like, and we do this all the time. We're, we're kind of detectives as, as much as we are storytellers. And so we know if you're taking pictures of something repeatedly or video something repeatedly, we know it's important to you and we'll, we're going to be including and every single editor who works for us is a mom as well. So they're really able to understand what those really important moments are to parents that like might not be obvious to like a 25 year old editor who doesn't have kids. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting that your editors are all moms as well. And you yourself have a few kids. What has your experience been in running your own business and being a mother? Because I am not there yet, but it looks like a daunting task. So how <laughs> how have you done it, basically, is my question. So it's definitely daunting. Uh, motherhood in general, you know, whether you're working in the home or working outside of the home, whether you're getting paid or not paid, there's nothing that is easy, I think, about motherhood. It's beautiful and rewarding, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. So I used to work in finance before I went to work in film. But when I had my first kid, I decided to stay at home because I did not want to go back to finance. I'd been working then in film production for like a little while, but the idea of going on location with like a newborn baby for two weeks in Germany did not sound particularly appealing to me because I was just trying to survive at that point. <laughs> um, so... I stayed home for three years before I started Smitten. And in those three years, I had then a second kid and I moved from London back to New York. And when I had done those two things, I had, you know, I'd been percolating like the idea of Smitten in my mind. It had been percolating for quite a long time. Um, and I'd been playing around with making my own films, making other people's films. But I knew that I wanted to wait until I moved back to New York to really launch the business because first and foremost, New York is like a very service-based industry and people are very used to outsourcing. And also that's where my strongest network was. I knew that it was going to be reliant on my network to get started. So when my oldest was about three is when I actually launched the business. And then I really felt like I had three kids for a long time and I was really struggling. I was working three and a half days a week on the business. Um, and then I knew I always wanted to have three kids and not one of them be a business, like three actual living, breathing <laughs> children. And so I just, as hard as it felt, I knew I had to just dig deep and, and go for that third kid, even if I knew it was going to be really, really challenging. And so we went for it and it was amazing and beautiful. And then something really bizarre happened when our third kid was being potty trained when he was like two years old. I was like, oh my God, I'm not done having children. And my husband was like, well, I am. So, um, <laughs> good luck to you finding somebody who will have another kid with you. And then he sort of, I don't know, I don't know what changed in him. And so he went for baby number four. So now we have four kids. We both work full time. It's utter chaos, but we do love it. And I think that employing, and it's not just our editors who are all moms at Smitten. It's everybody who works for Smitten actually is a mom. And 
I think that we all really understand each other and understand each other's priorities. And so it makes the working environment um, much easier. Everybody shows up, they do their work. And I don't mean physically show up because we've been working remotely even pre uh, COVID. We sort of show virtually and we do our work. We put our heads down. We know that every second that we're working is a second that we're not spending with our kids. And so that time is extremely valuable. We're super focused. Uh, we do great work. And then we switch over to being moms the rest of the day. So it's, I think that this, the culture of there, if, I mean, we're not such a big company that we have like a, an HR division and like a real like corporate culture as it were. But I do think about the tone that I try to set and I try to lead by example of having very strict boundaries between work and family. And I don't expect anybody to email, send, you know, reply to emails after 5 PM. I don't expect anybody to check emails over the weekend. We're not that kind of business. And that helps me restore some sanity in my mind. And it's not, it's certainly not a balance. I think that that is something that I will never achieve or certainly not in the near future, but it's, it's how I stay sane having four children and a business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to set boundaries like that. Even without kids, I have a lot of the same rules. Like we'll work till six. And then generally, if we happen to check an email, okay, fine. But if you're not around after 6 p.m., I don't expect anybody to answer. And same goes with weekends. If something comes up, I may say, hey, are you available to do this to somebody on my team? But they have to be willing to do it. I don't I don't think forcing somebody to work on a weekend is okay. And I think it's really interesting because with a family, that's your family time. You need to separate that and be able to. And I think because of that, if you know those are the hours you're expected to work, you're going to work much harder. Yeah. And you're going to make sure you have everything covered before you sign off for the night because, you right. know, hey, like I won't be in touch until tomorrow morning. So I just want to make sure I wrapped everything up today. And I think you know, moms, especially, I, I feel like become so detail organized, even if you weren't ahead of having kids, you, you have to like make sure you're on top of everything and you're yeah, personal life that it probably transfers to your work life. But I totally I mean, really, you, you are, again, like much farther ahead in your thinking than I was when I was your age. And before I had kids, I was just, I don't know, a very scatterbrained and very like, just I don't know, I you've got your head on straight. And I really admire that. But I, I've never been so forced to be organized as I am now. And I'm still not particularly good at it, but I know I have to look at my schedule every night for the next day. And I have to, for my older two kids who are nine and 10, I have to like debrief them. Okay. These are the things you have to do between eight and 11 tomorrow. They have to be done. You have to show me your like checklist once you're finished. Cause I need to mentally unload some of that, like, you know, think they call it mental uh, mental load. I'm not entirely sure what the term is. I've like read a lot about it and obviously forget what it is, but I have to like get that download that from my brain onto their brain. So I can switch that off. I can focus on work. It's, it is, you, you have to be efficient and you have to be ruthless with your, with your time. And I say no to a lot of things. Obviously I would never say no to you. Um, (laughs) but I, there's so much that I say no to because it's just not, it's not going to contribute to like my emotional well-being or my my well-being as a mother or you know it might fractionally contribute to my well-being as a business owner but you know and we can talk about this more in depth later on like there's there is a point where it's just like diminishing returns and you you start to know like what is really working for you and what is you can just sort of lose yeah yeah i need to work on that i'm not good at saying no yet i'm still i still like to make people happy but i'm i'm working towards that but in terms of the 
whatever you call it, brain load. I need to read up on this. I call it, I have too many windows open. Like, you know, on your tabs in your, your computer, I hate when there's multiple tabs open. I I can only have like five maximum and then I freak out. So whenever in my mind, there's too many windows open, my husband will attest to this. I I kind of freak out. I'm like, I have too many windows open. I have to organize something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's something to be said for having an epic like to-do list. And I don't know if you use Trello at all, but it's so, I mean, yeah, we use Trello all the time when we work together. It's so great in that you can just like take it out of your brain and put it onto there. And if you really like spend the time to get to know the software and how you can like make just the organizational aspect of it really work for you so that you know when something is due. And you also know the five steps that you need to, because there's like that high level task, but you know, there's five little steps hidden, you know, between that, what seems to be an innocuous and simple task. There's these other things that have to be done as well. And you can detail those out and give those due dates. And it's just like, for me, it's so helpful to get that stuff out of my brain. I have so many friends who wake up at two o'clock in the morning and their brain is racing, racing, racing with all their to-dos. I don't have that. Pro- I mean, I'm an excellent sleeper. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> super fortunate, but I, I, you know, when I do occasionally wake up in the middle of the night, I can go right back to sleep because if I can like wake up, put something on my Trello and get it out of my brain and know that it's like, I will address it tomorrow morning and, and know that it's not just going to get lost. Um, it's, it's super helpful for me. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. I don't use Trello in that way, but I probably should. I I email myself. This is like a crazier, less organized way. I email stuff myself a to-do list every day. Like at the end of the day, I'll email tomorrow's to-do list to myself. Yeah. The first thing in my inbox. But I think the Trello thing is a really smart way to do it because then you can just keep things there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody like ticks in different ways for sure. Uh, My inbox is such a hot mess. I mean, (laughs) unless I had like a dedicated inbox for my to-do list, it would just get lost in literally hundreds of, especially now that I'll get emails from, you know, different teachers, different schools, different sports programs. Okay. This, you need to print this out today. Your kids need to do this. And it's like, I never used to be so involved in their school and extracurricular. Like it was all managed at school or at their practices. And now all of a sudden, you know, that times four, it's just, my inbox has never been so slammed. It's really ugly in there. (laughs) Right. Cause you're now business owner, mom and teacher of four different grades. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately the baby is like all he's practicing these days is learning how to walk, but Hey, that's like a big, you know, it's a big job. We got to get that little chubby 15 year old to get up off his butt and walk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about some of the challenges you've run into in growing your business. You, you kind of alluded to this idea of maybe pulling it back in at one point, but you've been doing this for 11 years now. So what are some things that have, is it 10, 11? Well, so I mean, I, I came up with the idea about 10 years ago, but I didn't put it into action until seven years ago. Okay. So seven years now, that's still a good amount of time to kind of have the ebbs and flows of your business, get it off the ground, build it into what you want to be. And what are some things that have come up and have challenged you throughout that time? So I first and foremost, like the biggest challenge for me always is like HR type, you know, hiring people, being really good at understanding what you're looking for. And I think everyone's great. So whenever we're hiring and I interview people, I just get completely overwhelmed because I'm like, that person was lovely. And I don't have a great set. Even though I know the job inside and out, because I've done every job at this company, um, you think I would know whether or not they're like the right fit for that. Instead, I just, if I like someone, I end up hiring them. And then it's worked out. Like we've never had an issue, but it hasn't been without some bumps along the way. And 
make, I mean, I live in constant fear that someone is going to leave and not because, you know, it's not a good place to work, but because people's priorities shift. And I think this is, you know, the time that we're in right now, like the pandemic is, you know, people's priorities have massively shifted. And I think that there's, you can't do anything about that. The thought of like hiring new people and having to onboard new people is, that is something that I sort of like live in fear of. And so I would say that people is like my biggest challenge. Apart from that, I think that understanding your business model and being comfortable with how your business model is so different to everybody else's is something that I think I learned the hard way. I think I was surrounding myself with a lot of female entrepreneurs and um, spaces that really have nothing to do with mine, even though they might be talking to the same audience. I thought, oh, well, you know, then we kind of have, you know, similar operations. But when you're selling a product versus a very high end niche, high touch service, it's super different. And it's not that I didn't know that, but the applications of how you make those two completely different models successful is something that that took me a little while to learn as well. And I think that I was trying things on for size. And, and I do think a lot of businesses trial and error. So maybe this is just inevitable. And my advice would be to try things and to quickly like pull back on them if they aren't right for you, but you kind of, you know, you don't know until you try. Uh, but that, that, has definitely created some challenges. We did things that just weren't the right fit for us. And then, you know, having to untangle yourself from that is is not easy. It's not impossible, but it's not easy. And I would say, you know, the idea of more is more and why not be bigger and better um, is that is inherent to who I am. I mean, I didn't stop at two kids when I felt like I was really at capacity. I didn't stop at three kids. I just kind of keep going sometimes. I mean, I am so maxed out now that like there's <laughs> no chance that I would have another kid, but I, I'm not very good at knowing my limits. And I think that that applied to my business as well. So, you know, a couple of years ago when I hired you to work on the website, we're kind of, I was in this high growth mindset and that Smitten could like, achieve this certain level of growth. And we worked towards that. And there were some huge successes there. One of them, you know, being the partnership with you. And we created a really beautiful website and a really beautiful visual identity. I'm very, very proud of that. And that will never change. But some of the marketing and the PR that we were doing around the brand was just too much. It wasn't the right fit for us. And it was because I was I don't know, maybe listening to a few too many podcasts of like these massive companies that are, you know, this is how they scaled. Well, you know, scaling a product is very different to scaling, again, this like high touch niche service business. It just, it can't work at the same, it can't, we can't expand at the same rate of growth that these other companies can. And like, again, like knowing my limits a little bit better and knowing how we are different to those businesses and celebrating that and really trying to hone in on that, that's all been like a process. And, and some people might just be inherently better at knowing those things than I am. I'm the kind of person who has to like try something to know, to understand it. If I, I like, I probably, I'm sure there were people along the way who told me this would be really challenging. And it's not like I didn't think that it would be, uh, but I was like, okay, well, great. Thank you for your advice. I'm going to try it anyway. And, and it didn't work out. You know, it wasn't the right fit for us. It was, it worked. It just didn't work at the level that we needed it to work. And I didn't have the appetite to go five years of losing money in order to achieve like much larger growth than, than 
we are achieving now is we're growing much more slowly as we scaled things back. And maybe that just means I'm, you know, that was like short term on short term thinking on my part, but I see it as like, cut your losses and just, um, understand what your strengths are. Um, so that those are some, I'm sorry, those are some very long winded responses, but hopefully that's helpful for some other people who are trying to understand what they do next. You really have to like look inwards and not look outwards um, at what other people are doing. Really, really understand. And this comes with experience, what works best for you and your company and focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. And it's really interesting that you were able to kind of take that step back and do that because I do think we're often of this mindset that bigger is better and we have to like increase our revenue even if you're making you know a good salary that you're comfortable with and you're living well and you feel like your business is running smoothly and you're in a good place it's this mindset of like more 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 I have to grow it I have to make it bigger and that's not not necessarily true you can be successful without making this huge monstrosity of a company, you can just kind of keep your client base, keep things running smoothly and operating. It doesn't always have to be an expansion model, which <clears throat> I, I mentioned to you earlier. I think as I'm, I'm doing a lot of these interviews and podcasts, I'm talking to 30 female founders this season. And wow. it, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing that you, yeah. Yeah. Thinking you can do more than you really can. You know, <laughs> one of those examples. But um this idea that a few women have had that expansion is not the right model for their businesses. And you seem to be aligned with that and like intentionally pulling back is really interesting because it's not the typical like capitalist keep going viewpoint, but that can be the right idea for you. And I think a lot of women founders are kind of understanding that, which yeah. is just an insight I haven't seen in a lot of other businesses out there. So it's really yeah. interesting to hear that and to be able to be aware of it and then pull back. And another thing that I think is interesting about your business in particular is I think your business model is actually a lot more like mine than a product because yeah. you're essentially a creative service, right? Like you might not be, yours is actually even more challenging though, I would say, because you're targeting, well, just because you, you have individuals as your clients, whereas we work with other businesses and I think it's a lot easier for a business to just kind of have a budget for marketing, whereas mm -hmm. individuals don't all, you know, have uh, money set aside for a project they want to do for their family. So I think, you know, just getting into the right market there is you're in a really unique kind of area because you're selling a product, but it's a creative product and it's not a B2B creative product. So right. yeah, that's like a, a really just a really interesting space to play in. And I, I'm not sure of too many other companies I could compare to that same situation. It's true. I mean, and that has been our biggest challenge. And I did want to just say one other thing on the, um, the growth conversation. Yes. So my ambition to grow was never a financial one. Um, it was about reaching as many people as we could, telling as many people stories as we possibly could. But also I think there was some ego involved as well. Like I wanted to be, you know, a bigger presence. I wanted to be the company, like the head of the com a company that people wanted to associate themselves with. Um, I wanted my company to be in the press. I wanted it. I wanted like everyone to know, like all this great work that we were doing. And so I think that there was, there was a degree of ego involved and I'm like not proud like to say that, but that's the reality. And so I sort of let like my ambition, I think 
take the company in a direction that maybe it wasn't right for it. And interestingly, we made, even though our revenue was higher as we grew, our net revenue, our profits were lower. And so now that we're doing less and we're not spinning our, our wheels quite as much, everybody's actually taking home more money. And it's such a funny, unintended... I mean, I suppose if I would really like sat down and modeled, modeled it out better than I did, I did some very like rough modeling, I would have understood that. But it's this funny, unintended consequence. We're actually, by doing less, we're actually making more money. And that actually feels really good. It feels great to be able to support professionally all these other women and give them a really, you know, a steady income. And that's really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it's really cool that that's actually worked out in that manner where your business is actually functioning or operating at like a better level once you pull back. And I think that the ego thing is like really commendable for you to be able to call out. And I think all of us, anyone who starts a business, we all have a little bit of that in us because otherwise we wouldn't start our own business. We would just keep working yeah. for somebody else. So like right. without, without that drive to be, you know, recognized somehow or to create something of your own and have something to show for it, we wouldn't have a business. So like yeah. being able to like monitor that, if you will, or like catch yourself and be like, okay, like that's enough. I, I, I did it. Yeah. Now I can relax a little bit and yeah. pull back on that is I think hard to learn for even myself and anybody who sets out to make their own business, but it's something to kind of keep in check as you go and grow, no matter who you are. Yes. Yes. And kind of don't let like the media glorification of being a female founder or just being a founder, you know, get to your head and just kind of know your purpose and know your North Star and just, you know, keep the course. I think Um, I definitely got a little lost along the way. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to. I think there's there's a term somebody else mentioned to me. Uh, it's like founder, founder something. Something about like basically being like jealous or like loving of founders, founder envy or something where it's like this kind of putting founders on this pedestal and making them kind of like celebrities and feeling like they're better than other people, which, which is going on, I think because of tech and everything. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of new companies starting right now. Being an entrepreneur is very idealized at the moment. So there's founder fetish. That's the word. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I guess that's a term that's going on right now because there's just a lot of it. People are really idealizing this idea of being a founder. And I think totally. it's something to just kind of keep in check and not, not do it for that. If you're doing it for that, then it's not right. the reason it needs to be like for your company to share this experience with other families out there and, and really, yep. really help them. So with Smitten, now that you've kind of scaled it back and business is kind of operating smoothly and you're feeling good about things. I mean, we're all in this weird coronavirus virus situation, so we don't know what's happening next and all our plans have changed, but what are your goals moving forward for the next, you know, indefinite amount of times for Smitten Films? So now I know, now I know what makes our business tick and grow and succeed. And my goal is to stay the course and to not get distracted because the most important thing to me is serving our existing clients as well as we possibly can. We were getting so distracted by like 
all of the brand partnerships and, you know, let's work, let's do this fun event together. And at the end of the day, it didn't service our clients. It, you know, made us a more fun, splashy brand to be associated with. And I understand that. Uh, but it's not for us. It's right for other brands. It's just not right for us. I mean, unless we were to double what we charge for our films. But again, like, I don't think that that is best serving our clients. So focusing on, I mean, 90% of our clients come back every year and I never want that to change. We have a partnership with our clients. We are essentially their family storytellers for life or as long as, you know, they want to. It's not like it's like written in stone uh, or in their blood or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> but people choose to come back year after year. And and that's super, super, super important to me. So retention and then referrals, like whenever, because it's such an intimate relationship that we build with our clients, such an intimate thing that we're working on with them, that they have such an emotional response to it. And they just want to share that with their friends. Um, And so that's really powerful for us. And so we had to really understand how to take the emotional response that somebody has to seeing their film and then understand how to convert that into them just organically telling their friends about it. I mean, it's really challenging um, because it has to be organic. Otherwise it's just not authentic. So, but, so those, those, you know, staying the course on those two things, retention and referrals, I think that we will grow into the company that I want us to be. And it may not be, um, the sexiest thing out there, but it will be serving the higher purpose that I always wanted Smitten to serve, which is to help families celebrate their memories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, Hopefully seven years down the road, I'll have the same perspective on everything with my business as you have. I think you really learned a lot about what you do and kind of gotten to meander and kind of come back to the heart of it. And I think it's really commendable and really exciting. Thanks, Katie. Um, Yeah. And your work is so great. If anybody wants to check it out, you can go to smittenfilms.com, which I'm going to plug. We designed. So we worked together with Lisa and her company and they are wonderful. So please go check out smittenfilms.com. And if you have uh, any interest, you can get in touch with her to start your own family film because now is the perfect time to do it because we're all home and you probably need some new things to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.